0: You're listening to the Carers Link podcast, bringing you weekly episodes full of information news for unpaid carers in Eastern Martinshire. So grab a coffee or a tea and enjoy the episode. Hello, and uh, thank you for joining us for this episode. And uh, we're on episode 18. I'm John, and I'll be your host. And joining me as ever is Katie. And uh, Katie, this week we are looking at self directed support. Uh, What that is and and what that means for carers. And uh, I don't know about you, but I am not quite sure what that really means. And so it's always good to have someone along to enlighten us. So Katie, who have we got this week to uh, talk about this subject?
1: Well, today we've got the wonderful Karen Heath from Take Control, who I know I think it is a big subject, and I know that Karen will will be able to tell us and fill us in on a lot. Um, and we're really thankful, Karen, to you for for coming and joining us today. So, welcome. Thank um you. And how are you doing today, Karen?
2: I'm feeling very well. Um, I think I've started to adapt to lockdown a wee bit better, um, and certainly the.
1: The, the brighter weather certainly makes a difference as well so yeah I'm I'm feeling good today thanks how are you? I'm I'm okay yes I the, thought the rain at the weekend I have to say really kind of felt I was a, really was a prisoner in my own home I couldn't even go out in the garden because that's what I've been doing to to keep myself going but uh, yeah so it's good to see sunshine and well I can see a few clouds out the window but hopefully they'll just floating on by
0: and and can just to say that we're very grateful that you t- took some time out for us uh, to take part in this podcast. And you're more than welcome here.
2: Thanks very much, John. You, you know, I've had a long relationship with Carers Link and I've got the utmost respect for, for the work that you do, supporting carers across Eastern Bartonshire. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. And and first, off, just for the, the benefit of our listeners, uh, and yes, we do have listeners. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and, and what you do?
2: Okay, so as you said my in your wonderful introduction, my name's Karen Heath um, and I work for an organisation called Take Control. Um, I'm the development worker there. Um, it's a really, really good job. I really enjoy it. Um, it's been curtailed of late um, because of the the lockdown, but I had the... The pleasure of being able to go out and about across Eastern Bartonshire, meet lots of lovely people including carers groups that you run um, and make people more aware of self-directed support and provide lots of different advice and information to, to various groups. Um, I also work one-to-one with individuals so I feel I've, I've got a real good balance between um, out and about in the community and doing directed sort of casework if you like. Um, so it's given me a kind of flavour of, of of a whole range of different sides to self-directed support. Um personally, I um, live and work in Eastern Bartonshire, so I've got a kind of real vested interest in, in the local area. Um, have done so for probably about the last lived in the area for about 23 years and worked in the area probably around maybe 18 years. Um, worked for various third sector organisations. Um so feel that I was able to bring that to the post, Julia. Really, you know, that that knowledge of the third sector and, and who was out there and who was able to help people. So I feel as if um, I've been able to help people with a range of different things over and above SDS in my job. So I yeah, find it really good.
1: And, I mean, you've mentioned briefly about, you know, not being able to do quite so much uh, during the pandemic. Has, has it had a, a big effect on, on what you can do?
2: As an organization um a bit like yourselves and other you know third sector organisations in Eastern Bartonshire we were able to kind of get up and running online pretty quickly um, so we're all working from home what I was meaning more was was about my job in terms of getting out to groups and, and getting out to events and you know conferences and, and meeting large groups of people that's certainly obviously all been put on a back burner at present but having the opportunity to come along and speak to carers via podcast um is i think it just shows you how we're kind of trying to think about different ways to work together and still get that same message out although i'm not able to to go out and physically be in a group but um hopefully we're still able to get the message out there as well
0: that's absolutely true and uh, um, karen because i know that uh... We used to always bump into each other and, and sometimes work together on different things. And and yeah. uh, and not having that aspect. In fact, I was just talking about that uh, earlier today uh, with with some of the team about just some of the some difficulties that if that's part of your role, you know, the, the adapting to the new normal can be a challenge. And I think also just to say for for those that are un, uh, not sure about the term third sector, um, what we mean there is basically voluntary organisations and community groups. Um, and uh, we tend to use a lot of jargon, and so I need to—I to, need to wrap my knuckles as well sometimes um, on that. So, yeah, um, right. f- Thanks for
2: that, John. And if I do go into jargon modes, please keep reminding me and, and uh, bringing me back in. It's easy. No. It's easy
0: to do. No worries. No worries. Um, so I think again, just um, when we're talking about jargon, um, what is self-directed support?
2: Okay, so self-directed support is, has been the term has been around for a wee while now. It's, it was, it's been around since two thousand and fourteen, um, when a, a new legislation, a new piece of legislation, came into force. Um, and what it basically boils down to is a new way for social care to be delivered. So previously, what used to happen was um, an individual. And when I'm meaning an individual, at the moment I'm basically speaking about someone who has some care needs. So if we use the term a disabled person or a person with a long-term condition, that's the type of people I'm speaking about. So those types of individuals might need some additional care and support to be able to do the things in their local community or for themselves that other people take for granted. So what used to happen was a social worker would do an assessment of that individual's needs. And then the local authority would let that person know what care or support could be provided to them. And after many long years of campaigning by disabled people's organisations and carers groups, the Scottish government changed the legislation and it put an onus on the local authority to release or relinquish some of that responsibility and give some responsibility or ownership over to the individual who's receiving the care. So it means that disabled people and people with long-term conditions have a much bigger say on over how the care and support that they receive is delivered. So that basically is what um, self-directed support is, John. Does that you think that covers it for your listeners?
0: Yeah. I mean, we talk about personalization as well within that. That's
2: right. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if, if someone is going to get self-directed support, how, how does that happen? What, what are the steps that, that get them there?
2: Okay. That's a, a really good question because that, that is one of the ones that comes up again and again and again. People who have been aware of social work for a number of years um, sometimes are under the impression that self-directed support is something new, or something that's in addition to what social work has always done, and it isn't. It's just part of what they do now. It's what they've, they, they use the term as integrated into their, the way that they work. So, if somebody wanted to get self-directed support, the very first thing that they do is they would need to ask for an assessment of their needs. And in this area, that's called a community care assessment. So they would approach social work and they would ask for an assessment of their needs. Now, carers do it slightly differently. And I think hopefully we can kind of come on and speak about that a wee bit later on. But if we focus on the individual with the disability or long-term condition. So they would approach social work and ask for an assessment. Now, social work ordinarily are they've got a statutory duty to, to, to provide an assessment of a person's needs. During the current coronavirus outbreak, that um, social that sorry that um, statutory duty has has been removed from them, but only while the lockdown continues. So. That is just a temporary measure that's allowed social workers not to have to do those assessments. And what I would say, a really important message to get across in this in this podcast, I would say, is that if someone feels that they need extra care and support in order to live as independently as possible and to live as fully in their local community, they should seek some help before they approach social work. I think they should seek some independent help and advice because it's really helpful to sit down before you contact social work to really have a good look at you, your life and what your needs and wants are and to sit down with someone and to be able to maybe articulate them really quite clearly. Um, And we can certainly take control. We can certainly help people with that. So we're allowed to help people. We use the term pre-assessment So it's obviously just that stage before they've actually contacted social work for an assessment. Um, And the feedback we've had from individuals is that that has really helped clear their mind and helped them focus on what their needs are and what they're going to ask for. Um, And one um, individual, um, it was actually a carer and he was looking for extra support for his mum. And what, what he said to us was that you, you've given me the right language to speak to social work um and I felt that I was really quite proud of that because I, th- I thought that's that's how people can sometimes feel as they don't really know what's there they don't really know what they're allowed to ask for so that was um I felt really proud of that moment when that chap said that so
1: yeah yeah I think it's something that that it Yes, if you go into social work without having spoken to anyone else, and they, they come at you with questions that that you haven't really thought about, it's like anything. You know, I was doing an insurance um, car insurance quote yesterday, and and they're me questions. And I think I don't know the answer to that. Whereas you know, and then the next time you do it, it's fine because you do know what the answers are. So it's just getting getting your brain to put them together. Um, so you can you can help with them pre-assessment, and then they need to contact social work to to get the support. Is that that yeah. how it works?
2: That's right. Sometimes if it's obviously like yourselves at Carers Link, um we have a whole suite or range of support that we can give to individuals, but it's very much up to them how little or how much they want. So say for example, I was dealing with someone and they had really quite complex needs and they might find it quite difficult to phone social work. Um, I would certainly do that on their behalf. So I would I would make that referral. Um, likewise, I know you would step in as well, but likewise, if it was a carer who was really under a lot of stress, um, who I was a bit worried about, that they would maybe put that, reach out for help, that they, they would maybe put that on a back burner. Again, we would be able to make that assessment. We need people's permission, um, and we all know about... Um, the GDPR, the you know, data protection regulations and things like that. So we need um, what's called a mandate in order to um, speak to social work on your behalf. But as long as we've got that, we can certainly support people with um, making referrals to social work. Okay.
0: So um, when you talk about self-directed support, I think a lot of people think about the different options and it can be quite confusing to people what, what they are. Um, and uh, can you maybe just talk about, about the options and where that fits in with uh, the delivery of uh, self-directed support?
2: Sure, John. So you're right, the, the, there are four options. Um, and I the way my brain works, I tend to, <laughs> I tend to explain them the, the wrong way around. So if it's OK, I'll start with option three. So there are four <laughs> options and they're called option one, two, three and four. And the simplest way for me to think about it is option three is how it's always been. So the social worker does an assessment of your needs and the social worker then goes away and organises your care and support for you. So you don't choose who's coming in or anything like that and the social worker goes away and does it all for you. With option two, use the individual have got a bit more choice and control over what happens. So you can say to the social worker that you would like a particular care agency to provide the care and support for you. So rather than the one that the local authority was going to give you to do your care and support, you can say, I I don't want them to do it, I would like this other organisation to do it for me. And then it's the social worker's responsibility to go away and speak to that care provider and see if they are able to provide that support to you. Now, one of the issues with option two is that there are not enough care providers out there who have got enough spare capacity to take a lot of extra work on. So sometimes the care agency that you might want might not be able to provide the support to you. And the other big thing to think about with option two Is that sometimes you might have to pay what's called a top up. And that basically means that the amount of money the local authority has to pay for your care might be less than what the care agency or the care provider charges. So if the local authority are prepared to pay £16.65 an hour, if that care provider charges £20.65 an hour, you would then have to pay. £4 per hour extra to top up your care. Now, that is something that we can sit down and explain to individuals um, in a lot more depth and detail than than we have just now, but it's just an important thing to bear in mind when people are finding out about the options. Then if we look at option one, option one is the option with the, the most flexibility, but the most responsibility. So with option one, the social worker still goes out and does the assessment and they then let you know what, what your budget is and you can choose to take that budget and manage it on your own. Now, the main things to, to be aware of here is that if you want to do that on your own, you must have the capacity to manage that budget yourself. That's one of the really important things. And by capacity, we mean mental capacity um, under the um, Adults with Incapacity Act. So you you need to have the ability to be able to manage that funding. Because if you think about it, it's public money. So they have to be assured that whoever they're giving the money to is going to be able to to manage it effectively. Um, And what you're allowed to do with that money is you're allowed to either employ someone to work directly for you and that person is called a personal assistant or you're allowed to use that money and you can contract directly with a care agency. So you can go to the care agency and say, I've been assessed by my social worker for a certain number of hours of support. This is my budget. How can you support me to meet my needs with this budget? So you're allowed to do two things with option one. And then the one I always forget to go back to at the end is option four. So basically, option four is kind of colloquially known as pick and mix. So that means where you've got a care package and you take some of it as option one, two or three. And the other part of it as option one, two or three. And for some reason, they've invented option four to confuse everything. But it just means that you are using different elements of self-directed support to provide your care and support.
1: In option two, the local authority will pay for you. They pay for the to, to a care agency that you've chosen. So what would be the advantage of you choosing to pay yourself a care agency that you've chosen, if that makes sense? Is it just oh. is that it's that direct relationship you have? That's
2: what some people find. Um, to be honest with you, in Eastern Bartonshire, in my experience, not many people choose to go down that route, but but that is exactly why they do it, Katie, is that it, it kind of cuts out the middleman. You're then the customer directly of that care agency rather than it being Eastern Bartonshire Council being the customer.
1: And And with option one, obviously you are an employer, so that brings along a whole other lots of responsibilities and is there support can take control support people if they're if they're doing that
2: yeah definitely that is probably i would say about 90 percent of the work that we do is about supporting employers and um, people who want to become employers and we basically support them through absolutely every single step of that um and What what we do with with individuals, as as I say, is start right at the very beginning. We can work with people, as I say, before they've even had an assessment. We can work with people who have had an assessment, know what they've been allocated, but aren't sure yet what, what they want to do with that. So we can sit down with an individual and explain the four options again, and what the advantages and disadvantages of each option would be for them as an individual. And if someone does decide to go down the route of option one and become an employer, that's really where our full service really kicks in um, and where we're able to provide a lot of care, help and support to individuals.
1: And I can certainly say to, to people out there, you know, while I've been out and about at various events, I've heard very good reviews of the of the support that take control um give and they've been the rave reviews i think i would describe them as so um you know i would encourage anyone to certainly think about getting in touch thank you
0: and and just following that up um and 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 thinking about when think about the responsibilities and i might be putting some people off um what kind of things can you do to help them first of all what are the responsibilities and, and what can you do to to support people through that
2: I think that's a really good question, John, Um, because that is probably the, the thing that is, is most off-putting about taking an option one and becoming an employer. And it's a shame because that is by far the option that, that does give people the most choice and control over the, the care that they receive. So, yes, you are becoming an employer and like any one of us who works for an employer, any one of us that's employed, there are certain rules and regulations that employers have to adhere to. Some of them, quite simply, are things like you have to make sure that you take the right tax and national insurance off an individual. You need to make sure that you provide a safe place of work for an individual and adhere to any specific um, health and safety measures that, that, that are in place. Um, you need to make sure that, that you um, don't discriminate against your employee. You need to make sure that your employee gets access to holidays, any personal protective equipment that they need, PPE, which is a hot topic at the moment, um, and all sorts of things that like that that, that we as employees take, take for granted for, from our employer. But it's almost as if, When self-directed support was being launched and looked at, that the powers that be looked at every single stage of that journey, and they put support measures in place every step of the way. So the very first thing that that you have to do is you have to become registered as an employer with HMRC. So we've got those forms in our office, and we've got them online now. And we fill them out with you as the employer. We fill them out with you on your behalf. You have to sign them, but we help you with with filling them all out. So that then allows you to be an employer and authorise tax and national insurance to be taken off an individual. So we move on to the tax and national insurance. So what happens there is that most people opt to use the services of a payroll company. Some people who run their own business or some people who maybe have got their own accountant who maybe are self-employed or or something like that um, can can choose to use an accountant. But most people use a payroll company. These are organisations that are are voluntary sector organisations in the main. And they just have a special department within their organisation that does all your tax, national insurance and pension, etc. for you. And they take a, a sort of monthly fee in order to do that. The responsibilities about health and safety, holidays, different things like that, those all come under your um, insurance. And every employer has got to has got has got to have public liability insurance and employers' liability insurance. And again, there are insurance companies that specialise in these types of insurance. So they specialise in providing insurance where an individual is coming to work in your own home. With that insurance, there is also a 24-hour employment law helpline. So you've got access to employment law experts at any time of the night or day. And when I first started doing this job, I'd heard about organisations and their, their employer's liability and their public liability insurance being really, really very expensive. Um, but the, your employer's liability insurance for employing someone in your own home is about £100 a year. It's less than you would pay to insure the family car. Um, so it's it's certainly not you know a really huge prohibitive amount of money. But what happens is, with anything that you have to pay for to set up your option one and employ someone, you get what's called startup costs. So in the first year, as well as your budget, the local authority gives you some money at the very beginning so you can get your package up and running. And then as your package is up and running, at Take Control, we make sure that you build a contingency budget and that then allows you to pay for these services in year two. So you, as an a, you as the person who's receiving the, the care and support, you're not out of pocket for any of that. And the other thing that they include in that is money for um, PVG checks, which are your protection of vulnerable groups. Um, So that's a a safeguarding aspect, employing someone in your home, and you get money for that and your startup costs as well.
1: So that sounds definitely, I think to to try and do that by yourself would be quite something. So I think (laughs) no, 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 don't bother just go and see take control and, and and get it all all sorted for you um one thing, thing you know if if say you've chosen to to do option one and and it just doesn't work out for you for whatever reason what what can you do can you change at that point or is that are you stuck there forever
2: so what we do is we try and it's that's sort a of thing probably again like yourselves at carers link you, you don't want to sort of work with people when they are kind of, you know, like a carer, when when they've been caring for years and years and years and their stress levels are through the roof. You want to try and get in an earlier stage and help a person and support a person early on. So if we're able to start off with someone who hasn't yet made a decision, it would be our job to try and help them think about the, the whole picture and make the right decision for them but there is a safety net. If, if you make a decision to go down a particular route, you can always go back and change your mind. I would think that if, if I put a social worker's hat on, your social worker probably wouldn't be wanting you to come back every two weeks and change that. They would want you to give it a good go and, and see how things were working out. But you certainly have the option of going back and changing um, your, your mind and, and changing the decision. And can I just say something about the process? Um, I sort of spoke probably for about 10 minutes there without drawing breath. <laughs> but um, it, it is a process and everything is dealt with one thing at a time. So say, for example, the insurance, you need to know about the insurance, but you don't have to have it until the, the, the morning that the person starts working for you. So what we do is we've got a very clear timeline that we work on. So we don't bombard somebody with everything all in the one day. So one of our advisors, it's a wee bit like a a, a kind of a a huge curve, if you can imagine it. So when we start to work with an individual who's decided to become an employer, there's a huge amount of work at the beginning. And then it just pitters out into quite a a static line at at, at, at the end. Um, And then we dip in and out. So the line goes up and down, depending on if you need us again sometimes we work with an, with an individual and um, help them get all set up and then we don't hear from them again um, and, and it's it's just working fine and then other employers will come back to us and say maybe their PA is moving on or they need help with a, an audit or something like that so we, we dip in and out with um, supporting people when they need us
0: OK, so... Um... We've briefly mentioned it in, 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 in some of your earlier uh, answers to the questions, but talking about carers, um, do carers have the same rights in terms of SDS as, as people with conditions?
2: Certainly, if I could speak about Eastern Bartonshire, um, the, the way it works from our side in Eastern Bartonshire, and please, obviously, you're the experts with carers, so if a carer, um, I came across a carer who was needing um, support with their caring role, the first thing I would be doing is suggesting that they get an adult carer support plan um, or a young carer statement. And we would always refer to yourselves for that. Um, and I, I believe you get a lot of referrals from social work for, for, for that purpose as well. Um, that then gets reviewed by social work, and it, it goes in front of a, a funding panel in Eastern Bartonshire called the RSJ. And they decide what 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 they're prepared to, to give individuals. And it is very much, if you're a carer, it is very much dependent on your circumstances. So if, for example, you were uh, a younger carer who was still of working age, and you needed support to carry on working, they would look at seeing how much help and support they could give you with that. Um, If you're a a young carer, um, then they would look at giving you support in terms of maybe being able to do activities that a young person might ordinarily want to do. Um, But what we've found is that, that quite often, someone will maybe get four hours support, per week. And what that then means is that you're right, John, it does mean that they have access to self-directed support. So say for example, a person with let's say dementia was getting four hours support a week from a care agency. Um the person, the, the carer might also get two or three hours themselves. And then that adds up to seven hours. So Although it sometimes sounds quite small amounts, it can sometimes add up and and um, give the carer a wee bit more flexibility and a wee bit more respite. So, yeah, it's certainly open to carers, John.
1: And, and thinking about the current situation that we're in, um, how how have you found that's affecting in terms of people being able to, to deliver support to people and, and people who are looking for support as well?
2: It was quite interesting really because um most of our not our most of the PAs who were employed in, in Eastern Bartonshire just carried right on working. Um they needed access to PPE, which we, we, we know we knew about. And um, you'll know that that both um your yourselves for unpaid carers and us for PA employers um are the Uh, go to organisations to to, um, access emergency supplies and and different things like that. Um, But most PAs carried on working. Um, Some employers decided that they um, wanted, or they had to shield or they had to self-isolate and and they stopped that care coming in. Um, But what we're finding now is that as things loosen as the, 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 the lockdown loose, loosens um the employers that employers are wanting the employers who have um stopped their, their service are now looking to restart again. So one of the things that we're doing is um working with the insurance companies to help employers put um, risk assessments in place for their PAs coming back to work. Because one of the, the other things that we've found was that some carers who were, were looking after um, either children or young adults with disabilities or long-term conditions, they were off work as well. They, they were working from home or they were furloughed. So they were able to step in and provide the care to the person that they cared for. Obviously, as we know, people are starting to, some or organisations are starting to ramp back up again so unpaid carers are, are might be less able to do that so we need to support them to look at how they get the care back in place again
0: so we're, we're coming towards the, the end of uh, uh this uh this podcast and and i suppose you've covered a lot of uh um ground here uh karen so what would what would mean message you'd like to uh send out there to to people listening about self directed support?
2: I think Katie sort of covered it for me earlier on. I think the main message I would like people to to go away with is that um, things have changed. Um, You now do have the right to ask for your support to be provided in a different way. And that that has got to be looked at, that there's a statutory duty on the local authority to support you to to look at that. I would say that it can seem really, really daunting. And I'll be honest, before I started at Take Control, I thought the the, the idea of becoming an employer was really off-putting, I'll be honest. But now that I've been there for a year and a half, I've seen the level of support that our advisors provide Seen the number of people who use option one to, to provide their care or the care to the person that, that, that they care for. Um, and with that in, in initial hard work, both on the side of the individual who's taken the direct payment and from ourselves, that investment in your care and support can pay real, real dividends. So an example of that would be that all the way through this um pandemic, um we we have quite a number of young people who have um autism or on uh, they have aspergers. Um and their PAs have carried on working with them. So it's allowed that those young people to have that consistency, you know. So if they were used to getting out on a Tuesday evening for a walk with their, their their, their personal assistant that was able to continue um and and it's allowed people to still have that consistency of, of approach so i would say that it's worth looking at don't go in and um, with your eyes closed to make sure that you get all the right advice and information speak or talk it over with ourselves if you're a carer certainly get support from carers link to look at your options as well but just be aware that don't be alone and there are other there are organisations out there that are there to help and support
1: you. Right. So thank you very much, Karen. And yeah, as I said earlier, you know why why struggle when there's an organisation out there which which can help you? I certainly would recommend everybody to get in touch. And what we'll do is in the uh, in the show notes we will put the contact details for Take Control. But do you want to quickly tell people now what the best phone numbers and email addresses would would be to get in touch?
2: Yeah, sure. So we are on um, 0141-776-2219. We are working from home at present um, and we have one mobile phone, (laughs) but there is the option of adding uh, to to leave a message and be assured that if if you leave a message, we will get back to you as soon as possible. Um, It might take some time. Sometimes we're we're dealing with quite complex um, inquiries, but we will certainly get back to you. Um, and if you want to drop us an email, our email address is infoed at takectrl.org.uk. So as you say, that's quite a complicated one, Katie. So it's good that that's going to be in the notes at the end.
0: Great, Karen. Well, thanks again uh, for taking the time out. And uh, uh, and uh, as I said, we'll we'll put stuff in the show notes uh, so if you just send that stuff to us, uh, uh, Karen, we'll put it in there. And uh, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll bump into each other again. Uh, well, maybe not literally until lockdown is over. Uh, and, uh, but thanks again, Karen.
2: Thanks very much, Carers Link, for, for inviting me in. And as I say, I would just encourage any of your listeners who want to find out more either to, to contact me via yourselves or in, in the, the show notes at the end, and we'd be happy to hear from you. Thanks again for your time.
0: So that's great. Uh, so, so moving on, um, we would just like to 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 say that we we were really uh, um, blown over by the feedback from our our young carers podcast, and I think Katie, you would agree with me that, uh, that that Sam and Cameron did a fantastic job.
1: Yeah, I agree. My, my comment to them was after listening to that, how could anyone not donate? They, they would just feel that there was a, they knew exactly what why they were donating and, and what it was going to be doing, Yeah, the difference think, it would make.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, you and I need to watch our backs. <laughs> We've got competition there. Uh, uh, but to, to Sam and Cam, if you're listening, then you, you did a fantastic job. Uh, and hopefully we'll be hearing from the dynamic duo again soon. Um, so, Katie, what have you got planned for next week?
1: Next week, we're off on a lighter note again. So um, it's Friday. Well, as as we speak, it'll be Friday that uh, you start to have to wear face masks in, in shops. So at the wonderful Amrit, our young co- carers coordinator, is a very good at sewing. That's one of her hobbies. That's what she's done to keep herself sane forever, actually. Um, so she is going to be telling us how to make a face mask at home. Um, and how to do it really simply with minimal um, things that you need. So um, hopefully we will be doing that and, and everyone will be have lots of face marks in bright colours or they can draw pictures on them or do whatever they want. I've seen some wonderful ones out there. Um, so that's, that's next week.
0: Yeah, I really looking forward to that one. And, uh, uh, and just to let you know, if, if again, just we see this every, every time, if you've got any uh, uh, requests, if you get anything you think we should know about, if you'd like to come on and tell your story and take part in the chat, then then please let us know. Uh, really want to get more people involved. Um, and uh, so with that, uh, I'd like to uh, wish everyone a good week and uh, take care, stay safe, and look after yourself. Goodbye.